0: You're listening to South Facing Light, the podcast about finding light in small everyday moments. I'm your host, Abigail Bobo. Welcome to South Facing Light, episode two. <laughs> I'm Abigail. Um, if you didn't meet me in the first, um. Podcast, then let me reintroduce myself. I'm a commercial photographer, um, theologian, sign language person, musician, and all around um, total grab bag of random things. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, I Well, for starters, like, maybe y'all can help me out. I cannot decide for the life of me if I need to try to hide my Southern accent on this podcast. Um, I feel like I used to really have it down to more of a science where I could hide it. And then quarantine happened, and I forgot how to do that. And I've got to decide... Do I want to keep the accent or do I want to try to mask it? Um, and probably my funniest story about my southern accent, which I'm from Georgia, like like deep south Georgia. So, I mean, I come by it honest. I mean... <laughs> This is not a pretend accent. It's not like when those British TV stars try to um pretend to have a southern accent. <laughs> and you're like, you are two centuries too late for that. Stop pretending. Uh, <laughs> but I was at this, like probably like, really early in my career as a commercial photographer, I landed. this was probably like, I don't know, like eight years ago, maybe, I landed this really great (laughs) high end lifestyle magazine interview um, out in Portland. And so I'm sitting there, and there are these like really well put together people from all over the world, like from Europe, from Japan, from all over the US. And I decide I'm not going to be Southern in this meeting (laughs) because at the time I just was having a little bit of an identity crisis around that. And so I stand up to leave and I feel like the meeting has gone super well and I am just beside myself with joy. And I turn around and I say, see y'all later, and, <laughs> and they were like, we have been trying to figure out what accent you have, and the minute the word y'all came out of your mouth, we knew, um, so that, that's my story, and since that time, I <laughs> I've really grown to love Just the Southern sensibility that being raised in the South gave me. Um, I feel like people from the South are really more in touch with um, their roots and culture than some other areas of the country. Um, And because of just our history and our past here, I think we're also very in tune with Things that need to be changed, and social measures, and um, all that to say, I'm not ashamed of my southern accent anymore. But <laughs> sometimes, if I if I get to talking to too many people from the north, I I do lose it a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> welcome to the bunny rabbit trail. Um, but in all seriousness, that's why that's why just not being afraid to be who you are is important. So I, I want to talk to y'all today about, um, just something that was really near and dear to my heart. Um, and it's why photography matters and why um, memory matters. So um, I'm, I'm a huge academic nerd, too. Um, I can eat, like, a 20-page paper for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Not not for lunch, but three meals. And um, I would like to share with you guys some of the research and other things that I found about why photography is such a powerful mode of communication. So... Buckle up. Um, I'm turning on Professor Abigail, and I'll talk to you in a minute. When I went to get my bachelor's in photography, I was required to put together an 80-page thesis paper, and it had to be related to my field. Um, There's a reason that most photographers do thesis papers in photographs because they speak a thousand words. And if your word count is, you know, 20,000 words, um, you know, you only have to take 20 pictures, um, <laughs> but they really have to count. But anyway, I was not allowed to do that for my bachelor's program. And so I had to write about why I thought photography mattered and I really fell into a deep well and rabbit hole of just information about neuroscience and the brain and memory. And and these are things that fascinate me anyway, um, just because like most humans, we we all have a lot of trauma in our backgrounds. We all have memories that are good and bad, and I've always been a person that, really, really loves memory, and I, I love to store up memories in my brain and, like, replay them and cherish them and turn them over in my mind's eye, and I've always had, like, a really sharp memory that long term. Anyway, my long term memory is really sharp. I may not remember your name, which is something that I need to work on. But I will remember how we met and the colors you were wearing and the way you presented yourself and the stories that you told me and what we connected about. And so really, It was not a surprise that when I started writing this paper, I was freshly out of photography school, freshly into a bachelor's program, and freshly in love with photography. And so I started thinking about why photography meant what it meant to me and started doing research about the effects of memory and photography. So apparently... The research goes like this. When we see a video, our brain will not remember the whole video because that's not how memory works. Memory, like you think of it this way, you have like a 256 hard drive on your MacBook Pro. And you know that you cannot store gigs and gigs and gigs and gigs of videos but you can store gigs and gigs and gigs of photographs. Like, it's just a simple storage thing. And all my, like, full-time videographer friends and me, when I shoot video, the, the choir is shouting amen right now because video files take up an enormous amount of space. They take up sensory space. You've got audio, which those files are pretty small. They're very sensory and then you've got just these incredibly detailed shots. You know, if you're shooting, like, raw video footage, it could be, it could take up your whole computer to shoot one video. However, if I, as a photographer, shoot, let's say, 1,000 images, that might only take up 20 gigs of my computer. And, and that's kind of how our brain processes memories, there's just not that much space on there to hold everything. Really, the, the scientists were actually saying that instead of remembering life as a continuous moving video, we remember life in screen grabs and still moments that are exactly like photographs. I'm very excited about this concept because... Because when I take a photograph and something about the content resonates with you, when you view that photograph, your brain will go, oh, that looks like a memory to me. And your brain will internalize the photograph as one of its own memories, That is insanely powerful to me, because when we think about having our mediums, whether they be writing or coding or drawing or creating or data management or anything like that, when we think about how they affect the world and how they affect the planet and other people, Impact is everything. And so, like, for example, I I have a penchant for just going to the most bizarre places or the places that nobody wants to go and taking photographs because I have this belief that, well, A., Everyone is valuable, and everyone's life has meaning and purpose. And if I can show someone who does not hold that belief about a people group or about a place or a race or, like, a gender, like, and I can take a photograph that is beautiful and that has meaning and weight An impact when a person that does not resonate with that people group or that place or that socioeconomic group, when they see those people as the humans that they are, their brain is going to look at the photograph and they're going to register it as a memory. And it's going to be a much more positive memory than the ones that they have previously stored. And I think I, I love neurohacking people's brains for the better. And I will not apologize for it because we have a responsibility to show up in the world in a way that honors people and that I believe that honors God because I believe that God created us to be beautiful and unique, and celebrated, and honored, and when I take a photograph that looks like a memory, I am part of reconciling people to people, and so I get very, like, heated up about this topic, because I think, one, I work in advertising, among other things, and I think advertisers have the most incredible ability to impact culture and people with positive and powerful stories that are honest and that are true and that actually change hearts instead of just like getting someone's brain to mentally assent to buying a product. And I don't think that's a trend. I don't think it's a fad. And I do think that it's something that I hope we're gonna be seeing more of in the years to come. But anyway, back to the photographs. So that's why, you know, photography is a young, young art form. Like it's it's barely cracked a hundred years old. Well, I think I think we might be batting it around, let's see, eighteen hundreds. When the first cameras started coming out, I think we're at about 100 to 150 years old. So when people started having photographs, I mean, the first cameras were really, like, they were difficult. They were heavy. They were these massive glass plates, metal fabric, these big bellows. And there was a tripod, and then you had to use these carcinogenic chemicals to coat the glass plates, and it had to be perfectly dark or it would be ruined. And then you had to put them in the camera, and then you had to sit really still. Like when, once the technology improved and cameras started pre- <laughs> becoming more common. After that time, cameras became these tools that, at the same time that that technology was taking off during the Industrial Revolution, there were also a lot of social change initiatives that were taking place. Like factory exploitation is not a new thing. We had photographers that were going into factories and taking photographs of children. And, and their photographs helped abolish child labor laws in the US because people didn't realize that having this photograph that looks to be in some way factually true and it looks like a memory, it becomes a, a trustworthy and more credible source for people to look at what is going on in the world around them, what is happening around them. Etc., in a way that they can engage with it from a safe distance and come to an informed decision about it that's also attached to their heart and emotions. So, you just got an 80 page thesis paper in 12 minutes, but this is why I love photography. It's because we have a tool that is available to us that can actually impact the way that people see the world around them, the way they see themselves, and the way that they see others. And I just, I firmly believe that, you know, everybody's like, (laughs) everyone has a camera in their back pocket, right? I think the difference between camera in your back pocket and Photographer is heart, and it's not just about physically seeing the world or technical skill. It's about why you see the world and how you see the world. And so I have really just found myself leaning into that in this season and asking myself, how do I see the world and why am I seeing the world? Because images have impact. Like we all know that, you know, that everything around us is manipulated to be seen how it needs to be seen. But we all know that to an extent we can positively neuro hack someone's mind to create a powerful, oxycodone love filled experience where they can connect with someone through art. And I believe that photography is still one of the most powerful ways to do that. And that's why I still love photography. So thank you for listening (laughs) to my very powerful, exciting idea that I have literally turned on for the last oh gosh, probably eight, nine, ten years and have just held in my heart for a long time. Thanks for listening. I really get excited and passionate about this. Um, it's just an idea. You know, there are some ideas that you get and they start to become like a, a really... I would like to think healthy obsession and these ideas start to become embroiled into the ethos of who you are. And for me, the ideas of photographs as memory and positive neurohacking have been ideas that have carried me through most of my career. So I hope that you enjoyed this. Um, And I would recommend if You want to challenge yourself on this this week. Take your iPhone out or your Android if you're an Android person. (sighs) Never will understand. Um, (laughs) But take this out. Take a minute to get close to something that you wouldn't have gotten close to. Or someone even. Or take a second to re-examine the world around you and take a photo of it. doesn't have to go on Instagram. It could. But just don't be afraid to use the camera as a lens to frame and capture the memory that you want to remember about a place, a person, or a moment. And then share that with someone who might not have seen things the way that you saw them. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode of South Facing Light. If you want to connect with me, um, you can find me on the web at com or on Instagram at abigail_bobo or You can find me on my coaching website, www.becomeacommercialphotographer.com. I hope that you've enjoyed this. Go out, take a photo, make a memory, and show it to someone who will now have a new beautiful memory because of you.